Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. I've had a few requests for examples of my fictional writing, so Dr. Wrong, Part 1, Easy Street, Game 1. The fucking dog's going bananas. Ten o'clock on a dead silent winter night and the goddamn thing's yapping relentlessly towards my house. If I were in the living room, the racket would be muted and all but drowned out by the hockey game. But I'm in my crying four-month-old son's bedroom that faces said menace, and the restraint I'm exercising is getting a cramp. I hear a thump come from somewhere above me, and remember Anna's going hard up there. She's desperately trying to reshape her body after passing a human, music blasting through her earbuds, blissfully unaware of the all-out auditory assault being launched at us from across the way. We moved to this small town with its small-town jargon just after my son was born. I caught myself saying, Moya, the other day while conversing with old Pete at the bakery, and felt my IQ drop 20 points. Anna wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and publish her children's books, and the only way to do that was to move somewhere inexpensive. This place fit the criteria, although we had to relocate four hours from the city and time travel socially about 50 years. I landed a job as a math teacher at a neighboring township, and we moved our little family into a home that would have cost four times as much back home. There's a beer vendor inside the local watering hole, so I have a six-pack within reach that I feel parched at midnight. Anna loves the feeling of safety, being in a town with only one stoplight. And of course, we were informed our neighbor would be a doctor, which sealed the deal. This dog, however, hadn't been on the brochure. The doc's wife died a few months ago, so this was the new companion. I met Miss Wong once before her death, and we'd had a one-sided conversation about geraniums and soil. Her constant chatter had melted my fixed smile and reduced me to mumbled affirmations such as, Uh-huh. Yeah? And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The doctor had found an app replacement in this yappy new dog. A sudden increase in crowd noise from the living room alerts me that my team has submitted an overtime winner to lose Game 1 of the NHL Conference Finals. I rock my sobbing son to no avail while the culprit of his distress serenades us with maddening sharp barks. For the first time since moving from the city, I miss it. I miss the anonymity that would afford me the luxury of opening the window to scream, Shut that fucking thing up! Instead, I carry my son into the living room and let him crawl around while I watch a highlight of the back-breaking goal I just missed. A loss will set a fire under these boys, I say aloud and half-heartedly to myself. My son yawns, which sparks some hope that my day is almost over. And with any luck, Wilson will be hogging his gutless owner's bed when I ease this little cry-bomb back into his crib. Maybe I'll even find my nuts still attached when I finally get to piss and head to bed myself. This inability to express my frustrations due to the fresh social parameters I find myself in prison within is emasculating. If it were some moonshine-swilling backwoods yokel who owned Wilson, I'd be reverting to my city ways in a heartbeat. But it's the doctor's dog. The only fucking doctor for a hundred kilometers at least. And my wife will kill me if I endanger the preference we've been benefit to since moving next to Dr. Wong. Game 2 Beer going down like water, 
fistfuls of trail mix smashing into my maw. I'm on the edge of the fucking lazy boy, willing my squad to an improbable Game 2 victory. Back by a goal with five minutes remaining, the baby starts to go off. Now, if you're a man from my new town, you'd probably advise that I get the wife to handle it, Nancy, or let him cry for fuck's sakes. Guys who think this way are either perpetually single or in a loveless, dominating, one-way relationship. Those compliant, apron-wearing blowjob machines from the 50s have been discontinued. Anna works out upstairs with Sean T. blasting her abs before bed, and the tactic of letting a confused baby wail in panic and fear until it passes out in despair isn't in my playbook. I go in, my eyes gripping the television until the last possible moment, and find myself in an unsettling atmosphere, planets away from the cozy little paradise I've just been ripped from. He shit his diaper, but of course that's not what woke him up. Wilson is losing his mind out there, and suddenly, mine's gone too. Instinct overrides discipline, and I find myself with the blinds up, window flung open, a shh escaping my lips. Wilson is shocked into silence. I manage to swallow the string of profanities that have been cocked to cast, and give the mud a death stare. Wilson begins to growl. He bares his little teeth and gives me everything he has, which isn't much. He appears to be a terrier, a dog not meant to be chained or coddled by humans as if he were a child. This thing is full of pent-up, limitless energy. His ancestors have been bred to kill rats in factories and hunt rodents on farms. They've been valued and useful companions. Now what the fuck were they? Yappy little assholes with no interest in becoming lazy house pets. I thought doctors were supposed to be smart. Wilson is likely a going concern, relieving itself indoors, ripping up important documents, gorging on the contents of knocked-over garbage cans. I've witnessed the pitiful Dr. Wong being walked by this monster daily. Not once does he yank on the leash. Just this morning I watched the little bully drag the good doctor straight into a ditch, where it sniffed at a dead raccoon's ass for about ten minutes. Only when Wilson had grown bored of the carrion did he continue the walk. I'd stood at my window distractedly chewing at a bagel as the scene unfolded. Finally they disappeared around the corner, and I had hoped a squirrel would mercifully guide them in front of a tractor before they made their way home. What is it, Wilson? The inquiry had come from Dr. Wong himself, who suddenly appeared from the street and escorted the pup back into the house. The fact that a lack of barking had alerted him throws my blood pressure into appointment-making territory. I consider leaping through the window and punching to death a small dog and tiny man for a moment, then quietly close up and tend to my son's duty. The baby coos sleepily now, and I'm allowed to return to the living room where the beers are warm, my team is lost, and trail mix needs to be picked out of the carpet before I can retreat to bed. Game 3 I'm at this fucking game. Up yours, Wilson. Anna has the baby at her mom's place in the city, and the boys and I are cheers and brews, slapping backs, and basically squeezing the living hell out of every second of our abatement from family life. Chaz, Beef, and Jerry are my longtime bros from differing hoes. I mean that literally as we share the same father. We had all managed to make it to an amateur level of hockey as teenagers, but as the realization that going pro wasn't possible began to hammer us into our respective square holes, we started gambling. We got an online bookie that we fund secretly and collaborate on high-stakes, one-shot mega bets. The hope is to surprise our families with a huge windfall someday, but until then, we figure it's best to keep it a secret, seeing how we're bleeding $100 bills on a consistent clip. Currently, we're sinking together on a $5,000 wall thumper that hinges on our home squad advancing to the cup. 
As usual, we aren't looking tip-top. Game three is a total beating. By the end of the second period, we're down 4 nothing. My big bro, Shaz, is listening intently to my plight regarding Wilson and the doctor. Why don't you just let it go, brah? I look at Shaz's bewildered face in bewilderment. Let it go, Shaz? This fucking dog is waking a baby up every night and ruining my alone time. Anna's upstairs doing her Pilates or whatever the fuck before bed. The kid's supposed to be knocked out, and I've got a precious couple hours to watch the game or jerk off or read a fucking book of poetry, but no. I'm singing a rockabye baby chuck my cock off. Shaz laughs. No, brah. I mean, release it. By the sound of it, that dog will just run its nuts off until it's lost. Not your fault if he's too dumb to seek shelter. Do it, bruh. Beef adds, then raises his caterpillar eyebrows at me over a mega jug of suds. It's not even that bad, guy, Jerry chirps in. Jerry looks like a weasel with glasses, but even though he's half the size of Chaz and a mere flank of beef, he's the fighter of our group. Always ready and willing to throw down. Eager, really. I once saw him purposely spill a drink on himself as a tattoo-covered mohawk dude passed him in a bar. After the uh, obligatory first shoves had been traded, Jerry had judo-flipped the bad boy through a table and then rained elbows on him until Beef managed to yank him outside. We retold the story so much that Jerry, for a short time, became Jerry Judo. But he hated the name, so we nixed it before it became an issue. If it were me, that stupid gnat would be dead twice already, Jerry continued. There'd be a boot party on the Wong lawn and Wilson be the guest of honor. Jerry tittered at his own wit and glugged down five bucks worth of overpriced beer. It should go without saying that Jerry's one of those perpetually single guys I mentioned earlier. We all finish our brews as the last seconds tick off the period. Jerry ogles a giggling group of 12-year-old girls as they depart for the concessions. I decide just after the horn sounds and we break out the mickeys of rye we've stashed in our boots that Jerry isn't someone I want around my kids and that Wilson will be turned loose. Pre-game prep. It's not impossible to come back from three zip in a series, but after witnessing the worst game ever played, we all decided that action needed to be taken if we wanted to recoup some of our five grand. The only way to make money is to spend money, right? So we took advantage of the odds being boosted after our squad had laid an egg in their respective score box and threw down the remaining five grand on just this next game. The odds were three to one against our team, so we stood to gain our ten grand back plus land a five grand profit, not to mention still be alive for an epic comeback rarely seen in sports a back-from-the-dead, down-three-to-nothing revival that would send us to the cup with enough money in our account to buy tickets. Let it ride. After the Game 3 loss, we had all laughed at the madness of our predicament as we drunkenly huddled around Beef's cell phone in the arena's parking lot and watched him submit the kamikaze wager. We had each contributed 2500 a week ago, and I truly believed that it would last a while. It was a way to stay connected to each other, a common goal a last-ditch effort to land on Easy Street. But here we were, only days in, and we not only had our entire bankroll on the line, we had our beloved team and our friendship sitting in the crosshairs of annihilation. How could I continue to love a team that may let us all down like this? How could I sit around and laugh and joke with a bunch of guys about a $10,000 loss? There's much more riding on this game than money, and I'm going to be damn sure there are no interruptions from that overgrown rat Wilson. Dr. Wong has an extremely relaxed schedule due to the small population and general lackadaisicalness that's rampant in these communities. Sure, there are no lines to stand out at the grocery store or appointments needed to see a mechanic, 
but good luck popping in and out of anywhere without getting an ear full of monotonous garbage. The population here is a whopping 302. That's 299 landmines floating around town just waiting to blow up a half hour of my time with weather observation. Wong could return home at any moment. Now that he has Wilson to care for, he pops in and out three or four times a day, as Anna has observed. We figure he must have to cage the untamed beast to avoid destruction of his home. Wong's problem-solving skills seem frighteningly passive, considering we depend on him to guide us in all health issues concerning the baby. Well, today I will free him of his tormentor. I finish lunch, kiss some foreheads, and head out the door. Things are silent on the Wong property. As I approach the house, I can hear the muffled yelps of Wilson. Does he bark all fucking day? It's hard to believe he has anything left for his evening performance. Wong has a rope tied to his front porch, which he only uses around 9.30 each night to tie Wilson up. Every other outing for the pup is in the form of a walk, or a drag in this case. Wong has all the best intentions, just the wrong breed of dog. I pull out a knife as I reach the rope and swiftly cut it in half. I relay the length of it so as to hide the cut and pull an empty bag of chips out of my pocket. In the typical classic fashion of scenes such as this, I have visualized turning around to find sneaky Dr. Wong standing behind me, hands on hips and foot a-tapping. In anticipation of this awkward scenario, I'm prepared with a piece of garbage I have been uh, removing in an act of neighborly goodwill. But of course, I'm in the clear. And like most devious acts in life, this one goes off without a hitch. Game 4 Once again, the game's too close. Tied at two with five minutes remaining in the third, I'm wringing my sweaty hands so much I'm creating hand farts, which are failing to amuse. Anne is sweating in a healthy way upstairs, and the baby's sawing logs in his crib. Wilson should be off on a grand adventure at any moment, and with any luck, never be returning. Perhaps he'll run into a derelict cat and a wise old hound whom will accept him as the rambunctious, happy-go-lucky fool he is, and form an unlikely partnership. My phone lights up with three messages at once as the game heads into a yet another overtime. Tensions are high for my fellowship. I wonder if we'll ever bother texting our chagrins should our team fail us. Two months' pay, lifelong friends, brothers, and your beloved sports team all on the verge of evaporation. Jesus, what were we thinking? The commercials end, the puck drops, and as I reach blindly for my fresh rum and coke, three terrible things happen at once. The dog erupts into a frenzy of barking that sounds so close, I swear he's in the baby's room. I knock my drink onto the floor, and as I spin out of my chair, the announcer shouts, He shoots, he scores! I stumble in shock and rage towards the front door, as the baby begins to scream and my team hangs their heads shamefully in stunning HD quality. I'm gonna kill it. It's gonna be a slipper party as I didn't bother with my boots on the way out, but either way, this pooch is getting stomped. As I round the corner of the house to confront the yapping mutt, I'm seeing red and there's no hope for a reprieve. Wilson's literally barking up the wrong tree, and I'm about to punt him into the trunk of the pine he's clawing at when something begins to crash down out of the branches. Dr. Wong hits the ground with a thud and quickly pops to his feet while desperately pulling up his pants. Dr. Wong? What the fuck are you? And then it becomes clear. The doctor begins sputtering some story about losing a frisbee up in the tree, but there's no frisbee. There's only the freight trainer's shocking realization crashing into my brain. He has a little pair of binoculars hanging around his neck. Doing a little bird watching, my man? I ask playfully. For some reason, I'm not angry. I feel kind of excellent, actually. I find myself petting Wilson as the good doctor raises his greasy Vaseline-slicked hands in a gesture of innocence. 
It has dawned on me that to get out of this situation, he'll likely grease my own palms with enough greenbacks to put me on easy street. I compiled the preceding story from the journal entries that I'd written prior to Anna's accident. I wanted to relive the short life our little family had together, but found that I had spent that time selflessly pursuing money. Easy money. The doctor did pay handsomely for his indiscretion, and I collected insurance from Anna's death. So, in a way, I got where I wanted to be financially, but the rest, it's all fucked up. I suspect that in the end, Dr. Wong may have had the last laugh, but I'm too worn down to, to speculate. Maybe I think I'm just paranoid. I just hate how I wasted our precious time. Anna left our son a story. I read it to him often, though we never talk about his mom. He's too young still. It's been four years. I read this to him almost every night. An Emotional Day by Anna Volick. Jack popped awake with a start and a shout. His dream had been scary, but he forgot what about. He cried for his grandpa to come in to visit, and one minute later... Little Jack, hush, what is it? Jack whispered, I don't know, I guess I'm just scared. Grandpa said, settle in while I pull up a chair. He studied the boy for a moment, then said, Consider this, young Jack, while you rest your wee head. If you never felt scared, you might try to cheat and look just one way when crossing the street. All the horrible stories you hear on the news would have no effect on the decisions you choose. A stranger would walk up and offer some candy. You'd head off to his car thinking things were just dandy. Walking onto thin ice wouldn't feel like a threat, but when you fell through and froze, you'd be full of regret. We make mistakes now, but believe there'd be more if we looked at a stop sign and then thought, what for? You'd be brave all the time, let it be such a breeze. You could look off a bridge and feel strong in the knees. But say you decided to jump off the ledge. If you never felt scared, you would soon end up. So you see, it makes sense for us to get scared, to have some concern for our lives when we're dared. We get scared because we care what happens to us. If we didn't, our safety wouldn't be such a fuss. So be thankful next time you wake with a fright. Being scared reminds each of us that we value our life. Grandpa whispered this last part as the boy fell asleep. Then he crept back to bed after kissing Jack's cheek. Jack woke up feeling alive and refreshed. He ran down to the kitchen after getting himself dressed. But as the smell of French toast smacked him right in the nose, he realized his mother never laid out his clothes. His grandparents were here and that was real nice. When his parents had left yesterday, he hadn't thought twice. But now he felt tears well up in his eyes, and from the kitchen, dear Grandma, heard Jack start to cry. Come sit down, little one, and have something to eat. In a moment, your bus will be out on the street. Jack scuffed to the table and slumped in his chair. 
I miss Mom and Dad, he yelped, and Grandma felt her heart tear. Listen, my boy, I know it is hard. Eat up your French toast, it's just a little bit charred. A slight smile spread across Jack's little face. He dug in with a fork and smiled wide at the taste. Grandma hung his pack on the back of his chair, then patted his back and tousled his hair. I want you to listen to an old woman's words. Sadness makes gladness, though, that sounds absurd. Jack greeted the statement with a look of confusion. Grandma sat down with her tea and gave a solution. If we never felt sad, there wouldn't be nurses, or police to catch thieves whom like stealing purses, no doctors to help you out when your arm breaks, no teachers to teach you about the Great Lakes. Every job you can think of where you care about others would not be an option. We wouldn't even have mothers. It makes me sad now, just speaking of the losses. This feeling affects every good thing it crosses. Losing a loved one might bring you cheer, although we wouldn't have loved ones without sadness, I fear. If you never felt sad, you might show a big grin while the poor man eats lunch from the garbage bin. You'd be one of the bullies you see every day who make fun of the things that don't go their way. Life would be lousy. We'd all be so mean. At Christmas, our skin would turn grouchy Grinch green. So you see, we would suffer without being sad, since sometimes it is good when inside we feel bad. Without sadness or gladness, would not have a friend. To let each of us know happiness does depend on the feeling we all seem to try to avoid, since it means something good has run all out of joy. When the tears well up and you're down in the dumps, just remember this means you care ever so much about the good things that come into all of our lives. With sadness, there's no way good ever could die. Jack smiled as she finished, then brought his plate to the sink. Thanks, Grandma, he said, and she replied with a wink. He threw on his pack and said goodbye with a hug. She watched him down the walkway from over her mug. Recess began and Jack ran to play ball. He was soon in the field with a glove in his paw. Shouts rose from behind and caught his attention. What he saw next is almost too hard to mention. An old dog had come in from a gate left unlocked, and some boys were laughing as they hit it with rocks. Jack picked up a stick and screamed at them, Stop! He swung them with the branch and watched their mouths drop. That's a poor helpless dog. He won't even fight back. He wound up again when from behind him came, Jack! Mr. Green ran up and grabbed Jack by the scruff. Now put that stick down. I've seen quite enough. Jack was led to the school and sat down in a chair. They were hurting that dog, Mr. Green. It's not fair. Mr. Green looked at Jack with a frown on his face. I know you're real angry, but for that, there's a place. Jack started to cry. Oh, no, I'm in huge trouble. Mr. Green waited quietly and let Jack's fear double. Calm down, Jack. Don't worry. I saw the whole scene. I was on my way over when you intervened. I'm letting you off easy because I know you meant well. But next time you get angry, it's me you should tell. Jack sighed with relief and had a thought then. I promise to never get mad ever again. Mr. Green shook his head, then sat for a rest. Listen, Jack. Anger's confusing, but I'll explain it my best. If you never felt angry, there'd be no need to shout. When the new lot read, kids aren't allowed to go out. Your brand new bike could be taken away, and you'd shrug your shoulders like, hey, that's okay. Without anger, some say that life would be good, but at times our friend anger is misunderstood. It's true anger's used to destroy and to hate, and at times it's a tool used to intimidate. But despite this, it's needed since some of the time. Wrong is not fueled by anger, rather a frame of mind. In this case, it's needed to help us say no to ideas some oppose in the regular Joe. Anger gives us the fuel to fight for our right, to have skin tones and range from dark black to bright white, and have the same opportunities, the freedom to dream, not seen as colors, but as human beings. Being angry can eat us up over a time, but using small doses, it can clean up your mind. Like volcanoes that erupt and devastate, anger's a tool used to help clean the slate. So you see, being angry has its ups and its downs, and either way, it's sure to cause faces to frown, but when something is bothersome and won't leave your head, anger helps us ensure our true feelings are set. Of course, it is wise to keep it in check, for this thing we call anger can make us regret. When misused, it becomes a weapon that maims, but used properly, it can defend and protect us from shame. 
Mr. Green finished up and led Jack to his class. Recess was over and all anger had passed. Feel better, young man? Yes, sir, I've learned a big lesson. Mr. Green patted his back and said, Class is in session. The bell finally rang and Jack burst from the school. He lined up for the bus. Yes, he followed that rule. From beside him, he heard a horn give a small beep and his mind blew a screw when he saw his mom's jeep. Jack ran to her door and let himself in. Mom, I'm so happy, he exclaimed with a grin. Surprise, Jack, I'm back, was her gleaming retort. The weather was bad, so we cut the trip short. Jack couldn't believe it. He felt joyful and giddy. If it wasn't this way, wouldn't that be a pity? Jack considered a life where he couldn't feel happy, then said, I want to share something, but it might be too sappy. She turned to Jack in surprise and replied, Anything you have to say has my ears open wide. Jack thought of the feelings he'd been through today, and it came to him what he wanted to say. If we never felt happy, there wouldn't be smiles. You'd see frowns and straight faces for miles and miles. All the pictures of people in your magazines would look just like those photos from 1916. Being happy allows us to feel good inside. With no way to feel good, we go out of our minds. Life would be empty. We'd all be so drab. Telling a joke would make people sad. Recess would come. You couldn't care less. Why even bother to get out of your desk? Playgrounds are gone and sports don't exist. You sit inside with a chin on your fist. Being happy might be the best part of life. Without it, we focus on sorrow and strife. Look at the bright side would not be a phrase. When life gets you down, you just stay down all day. So you see, life would drag if you never felt good. The best part of your days would not be understood. The next time you feel down, remember what you've got. The cure to feel better can't be bought at the shop. Mom laughed at this last part as Jack pointed her way, and that marked the end of an emotional day. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient, and it's an amazing value especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog. With my little family, we're about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here. And I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, 
says she's seeing more issues with dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone could do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash darktopic and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash darktopic to check it out. Badlandsfood.com. Unbeknownst to the widowed man and young child from what could be now seen as Uneasy Street, their neighbor, Dr. Wong, had continued to peek in their windows after Anna's death. He may have lost out financially to the cocky young teacher next door, but in the end, he'd secured his revenge. Wilson's leash had been snipped, and after that fateful night, his dog had indeed taken off never to return. He'd just run and run and run, apparently. Dr. Wong had returned the favor by making a snip of his own to his neighbor's brake line. Part 2. Final. The Idolized Dead. The Idolized Dead must despise their adorers. The thought developed as the man perused his newsfeed and weathered an assault of epitaphs dedicated to Adam West. Through a pained expression, he read one aloud. Quote, Shocked tonight to hear that Adam West died? was literally, in my opinion, the best Batman character. Candalescences to his family. Hashtag rip. Hashtag legend. End quote. The man had crafted a response on behalf of the English language, but was hesitant to pull the trigger. It read, You're missing more than one character tonight. He took a sip of wild turkey, drew a deep breath, and put the proverbial gun down. Experience reminded him that smacking puppies relieved frustration, but created guilt. The turkey begged him to do it, but his future self managed to broadcast enough regret back to level his head. He calmly removed the distant nephew from his friends list and returned to Anna's profile page. The anniversary of her death had, in the past, inspired an outpouring of condolences, a.k.a. But this year, the posts had dried up, and although the man despised the pretense of social networks, he found this desertion to be horrifying. As he scrolled through the dusty declarations of years past, a theme emerged. Fucking virtue signaling, he said aloud. Every single comment was designed to draw attention to the person who was commenting. One in particular brought the pained expression back to his monitor-lit face. If his neighbor were still peeping on the household in hopes of catching the lady of the house bent over, he would have observed a mood killer. In the dark room, the man's head appeared to hover in a bluish glow a modern-day gargoyle. Dr. Wong grinned from outside, satisfied to see that his foe was still tortured. He jumped when the man suddenly began to speak, in a strange ladylike voice dripping with mockery. 
I walked past your office today and broke down. You know I hate to cry, girl. I felt you smiling down on me as I waved back tears. My mascara, LMFAO. I love you, at Anna Volek, XOXO, hashtag hole in my heart, hashtag never forget. Dr. Wong retreated from the window, satisfied, as usual. The man continued reading the old post from the illustrator of Anna's children's books. The fucking self-serving twat had posted the messages on her own page and then tagged Anna in them. Shameless, he muttered into his glass, then drank deeply. Anna had once described her illustrator as someone who never actually listens, just waits for her turn to speak. The man drank to the memory of her aptness and then drank again to dull his memory. As he recalled, Anna hadn't an affinity for anyone in particular, yet the messages on her page gave the impression she'd been a socialite. He felt her slipping further away with each blip of the cursor. The bourbon made him warm and the warmth made him tight. We miss you, sweetheart. The man had no intention of posting the comment, but was compelled to feed the page something real. Just for a second, he muttered, and with a resounding clack of the entry key, he sent his deceased wife a public message. He felt a strange relief. In his increasingly drunken state, the ridiculous interaction seemed real. He studied her profile picture, basking in the nonsensical feeling of interaction with his lost love. The message blazed on the screen, and he imagined that somehow, somewhere, she was reading it. He reached for the mouse and was about to delete the post when a like appeared. Shit! The man spat. He rubbed furiously at his face, embarrassed. Reluctantly, he took a hand from his eyes, transferred it to his glass, and grimaced at the monitor. God damn it! He hadn't been looking for pity. He didn't want to be a part of this fucking scene. He hovered over the thumbs-up icon to see whom he'd been exposed to, then was distracted by a small voice. Dad? His son poked his face into the room. Hey, bucka! The man choked on the rue portion of the endearment and began sputtering emotion that had been welling in his throat. The young boy sheepishly entered as the man regained his composure. Something's in my closet, the little boy managed and then ran into his father's arms sobbing. The man hugged him fiercely. Hush now, little dude. He peeled the boy from his torso and appraised him. I want you to do something brave for me, okay? The boy panicked and shouted, No, Dad, please, there's something in there this time, I swear. The man held his boy close. He didn't chastise the four-year-old for his fear. Being little is scary, and the man knew a big part of growing brave was to grow physically. He free-poured a fresh drink over his child's tiny shoulder and realized the ice bucket was empty. How about I follow you up there, but you have to open the closet. He cooled his drink on the way and slay one of the two birds that had just flown into his chamber. The boy sighed noncommittally. The man followed up. If there's as much tin in there as you say, maybe I'll do the roof. The boy stared blankly, and the man, leering ironically about his son's use of some tin, get it, couldn't blame him. He stood and pointed to the door. Lead the way, soldier, I've got your six. The man grinned as the boy tentatively followed orders. He remembered this age well. The night had seemed a terrifying place full of slovenly ghouls hunting for blood. Quelling his son's fears had become a hobby, but he felt it pivotal to allow him to marinate from time to time, in order to ensure he became cautious. Caution, after all, is death's only repellent. Drink freshly iced, the father and son climbed a short set of stairs and approached the boy's door. 
the man thought he heard something hiss in the neighboring bathroom. Hold on, Buckaroo, listen for a second. The boy grabbed his father's leg and dug his face into it. They stood in the pulsating silence of the residually lit hallway, trying to glean any indication that a broken-booted hobo or needle-toothed beast had indeed taken residence in the boy's closet. The man soon deduced that it must be raining, and for a moment took comfort in the atmosphere that the gentle downpour was creating. Shame suddenly yanked him back into his familiar, uneasy disposition. Anna had felt no comfort. She had hung upside down, alone, drowning in that freezing what Dad? The man's eyes deglazed and he came back to the hallway. Okay, buddy, I think it's all clear in there. I don't want to see any hesitating, okay? I'll be right at your side. The boy gripped his father's leg and looked up at him crazily. I think it's Mommy, he wheezed, and shoved his face back into the man's thigh. Shit, the man thought. Shit, shit, shit. The boy had never mentioned his mother. She had vanished from his toddling view, and the man had done his best to discard all reminders. As the boy got older, the man got drunker. The subject had been kept at bay, but hearing the word mommy deflated his soul. This meant the boy had been sparing the man's feelings. He grabbed his son by the shoulders and looked him in the eyes. It's not your mother's son. Your mom is in a much better place than that stinking closet with your sweaty shoes and hats. The boy smiled slightly at this, and the man felt relief. Now, we need to get this over with so you can get some sleep. How about it? The boy shrugged and raised his brow in a defeated manner, then entered the room and turned on the light. The closet stood alone in the corner, and the man was struck with a sense of menace. They walked hand in hand over a train track carpet and passed a pirate ship bed. Water leaked from the closet and was settling in front of it. The man glanced out the window and realized it hadn't been raining at all. He studied the slow trickle that formed a puddle in the shape of a thumbs up and was hit with a freezing bolt of panic. The privacy settings. He recalled adjusting his social media settings in a fashion that limited the viewership of any comments he posted to only his eye. He made the change one drunken afternoon last winter after a nasty public dispute he'd initiated online. She liked it, he realized. Then another thought. You were fucking with the mouse, you dumb lush. As the man collected wool, his boy, as instructed, went without hesitation for the doorknob. He looked up at his father as he reached forward and witnessed a white streak paint itself through the man's hair. The boy stepped in the puddle, and the man recalled doing the same. One horrid evening, four springs passed, in a cold room, beside a cold gurney, confirming the identity of his cold wife. The boy, looking pained, turned the knob, and the man made a wooden move to stop him, but was too late. The door swung open and there she was, hanging upside down, clawing at her seatbelt, head thrashing to the beat of certain death. Blood streamed from her mouth and chummed the ocean-filled cap. Anna suddenly turned from the stubborn belt release and faced her widowed husband. Her features, contorted by the crimson water, made it seem as though she were observing him through stained glass. She put a hand to her mouth, and the man watched her run two fingers over broken teeth. Anna's clouded eyes went from the man to the steering wheel, where the remnants were embedded. My teeth! Anna squealed but her voice was not her own. It was his boy's voice. The cab of the van imploded and the closet returned to normalcy, save a trickle of water running from sopping wet drywall in the back corner. Stunned, he craned his neck to watch his boy exit, exclaiming something about his teeth. He'd plugged the sink to wash his face. 
then brushed his teeth. The man could hear his son exclaiming over how huge the puddle was in the bathroom. And then, the man made a puddle of his own. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.